Welcome to the Midweek Social on All Villa, No Filler. This week's guest is Neil Dunworth from For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. Neil, welcome back to All Villa, No Filler. Oh, it was good to be back, Frankie. Thanks a million for having me. Yeah, always good to chat to you. My family's from Limerick, so of course I, I, I like speaking to anybody from Limerick. Great, great county. Um, yeah. so, so let's start with today's breaking news that uh, Villa have agreed a loan deal with Barcelona for French defender Clément Longley. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I, it's it's an interesting one. Um, I I did a did a podcast on it myself uh, last night. I only released it this morning. It seemed like it was perfect timing, but um, yeah, there was a lot of when I sat down, I kind of went, "Why would Villa be going for another centre half?" And obvious, there's obvious reasons you could go to, and then there's a, there's more kind of um footballing philosophy reasons that you could go to as well. And uh, you know, I I, I try I'm trying more and more often to take a more uh, rational, almost uh, take a step back approach to, to transfers because I can sometimes be very uh, always glass half full, um, you know, optimistic about transfers. So I kind of sat down and I wrote out a couple of things on Clement Langley and I looked at stuff and I looked at his time at Barcelona and I looked at his time at at, at Spurs. Uh, I hopped on Y Scout and I actually spent a lot of time looking at his time at Barcelona and Y Scout as opposed to Spurs because. While you don't want to disregard the last 12 months, that would be just stupid to do that. But while you don't want to disregard it, Spurs, the Clement Langley's time at Spurs, must, like if he was to turn around, he would say, that was an absolute toxic uh, environment to be in. You had a manager who, for a finish, didn't want to manage the team. Um, you had an owner, uh, you, had, you had Daniel Levely, who the fans wanted out. You had an owner who was in the middle of being indicted for uh, for insider training, trading. And then you had Ryan Mason, who, God bless his soul, came in and was basically told, tie up all those shoelaces and make sure that we don't trip over. And they didn't get to Europe. And when you look at it from that point of view, you've got a guy who's on loan. And I don't care who you are. If you're on loan from your parent club and you're at a club that's really trying its best to get over its way like Spurs were for the majority of last season, hmm. are you really going to be playing at like, like, are you being set up best to kind of succeed? So... He was never going to be the sticking plaster that Spurs needed in the defence for lots of reasons because the problems were systemic throughout the whole club. And essentially, you could see the rumblings were there for Harry Kane's, you know, whatever Harry Kane wants to say or whatever happens, Harry Kane had his eye on leaving at the end of last season. That's why he's now in the Bundesliga. So that bit of context is is very important when we look at Clement Longley, specifically for last year, because you'll see the recency bias. You have to take it into account. You have to look at the recent uh, recent performance. But what he brings to the team is a lot of people immediately assumed that Una Emery was going to go out and get a like-for-like replacement for Tyrone Ming, someone who was really good in the air, but when you look at it from a footballing philosophy point of view and the fact that how we attack means that we have to be ball dominant, we have to be able to own possession, we have to pass around teams to get them into a position where we can strike either through the middle or go wide. It's very, it, it's, it's a very simplistic, but it's also um, a very disciplined type of, of setup. And Clement Longley can pass the ball. That's exactly it. He's really good at passing the ball. He's really good at progressive passes. He's used to playing on ball-dominant teams with Barcelona. He's used to playing Wednesday, Sunday. Um, you know, He's used to playing in the Champions League. He's got international experience. And to be honest with you, if we, a lot of people were saying we don't need a centre-half. We were one injury away from having, from having Callum Chambers being the only fit yep. defender on our bench. You know, yep. We're one injury away from that happening. And so for me, it's smart business. It's on loan. 
lot being made about his about his wages. We we can talk about that uh, because I feel like I've I've gone in a really long soliloquy here, but we can talk about that uh, in a different question in a moment. But I think it's smart. I don't think it costs the money, it costs the co- the the club um too much in future revenue when we're looking from a, a, a an accounting uh, point of view. And we weren't the only team in for Clement Longley. Um, yet we've managed to sign him, and uh, I think it's I think it's overall a smart signing, albeit not one that I would have spotted from a million miles away, like some of the other signings that we've made. Yeah, exactly that, completely. Uh, you know, uh, Villa. Uh, one of the main differences I'm seeing to last season is that from defence, you know, it's so key. To, I mean, obviously it was key to be mm. a ball playing defender last year, but Pau Torres just looks like such a crucial player for Villa's. Not just defence, but attack as well now this season. And having Longley be there to be someone who could play, you know, as you know, if, if Torres gets injured, God forbid, or you know, Torres needs time out, or, or Carlos needs a timeout, you know, at least now there's options who can come in and you know do a, a reasonable role. Uh, you know, because uh, yeah, with Mings getting injured for pretty much probably the entire season, you just it's very easy to overlook that actually Villa were like one quite bad injury away from having real problems in central defense. Um, so I'm I'm I, you know, he's got Champions League experience, as you said, play for a ball playing elite ball playing team like Barcelona for a number of years. He's been a French international. He's played at the highest level, hasn't he? And he's also got Premier League experience as well, as bad as it was at Tottenham last season, um, as you mentioned, because of you know various circumstances. Um, so I, I can't really see why anyone would be against this, really. I think alone is is a wise choice. And, uh, you know, um, I've seen mention of what he's, you know, getting paid. I think Villa... Uh, the reports are suggesting 75% of his wages. Uh, you'd have to imagine it'd be quite substantial wages at Barcelona as well, considering they seem to spend all the money in the world. But um, what what do you think about that? Just just on that, yeah. So there is a story. There is more context to that. Um, Barcelona, with regards to restructuring of a lot of contracts, essentially deferred wages into future years um, of players' contracts. It's very easy for, you know, within the 280 characters or whatever it is of a tweet to put down 75%. I myself uh, don't, number one, don't care what we're paying for him as long as because it's for one year. It comes off the balance sheet next year. It's not an ongoing piece. It doesn't affect off FFP from whatever point. It does in this year, but from ongoing years, it doesn't. Um, I initially, I actually think, I, I, I actually think I'm a long lay and Barcelona will reach a mutual termination within the next 12 months. Um, after he comes back from Aston Villa, I I, I genuinely believe that. I but but getting to to where the seventy five percent is, and and I don't know this. I'm hypothesizing this now completely. But Clement Longley, the seventy five percent with with the money being deferred into future years, where what seventy five percent are we paying? Are we paying seventy five percent of his original wage, or are we paying seventy five percent of his deferred wages on top of his original wage? And none of us are ever going to know that. So when everybody, whenever people look at things like capology, who um, look, great guys do do a lot of great work with uh, with US sports. I'm not sure I trust some of the numbers that they have in there for some of the players in the in the Premier League. Just look at the Aston Villa um wages and 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 tell me if you agree with every single one of them. I can guarantee you you won't. Um, but their number is the uh, deferred wage on top of the normal wage number. So I don't know what's been deferred. I don't know what hasn't been deferred. I I, I um nor does anybody else. So it's very easy to say they pay 75% of his wages, but mm. I don't know contractually if, uh, like how that contract was reworked. I don't know how the, the, the deferring of those wages came. And, and you know, and I was very much on the, uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew Alleman, 
you know, he did wonders to, to help Barcelona. He's obviously been given short shrift now, being left go from Barcelona again, or being, being allowed leave like he originally was supposed to go, supposed to do. But it's his work was to rework these and defer these contracts. So I don't know. And Barcelona need they need to get out from underneath this contract. But I don't know if they've gotten out of seventy five percent of the whole contract or just his original contract. And as I'm even talking now, I'm beginning to confuse myself. So that's how <laughs> confusing it is. So what I'm getting at here is it's not as simple as they're paying 75% of what we can Google on Capology, and that's the number we're paying because I think that comes out at something. I think it's the bones in there, 200 grand a week. Maybe that's what, what Villa are playing. It's not going to keep me up at night. I don't care. I think there's just another bit of context and story to this that there were deferred wages. We don't know how that works out contractually. We don't know how that works out with regards contractually to what Villa have to pay. So if people do have an issue with it, with it being 200K, essentially, um, of uh, a, a week for him, that may not very well be the case. So I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about it, is essentially a long-winded way of saying, I don't worry about it too much. Yeah, Sam, I, I think it's, yeah, I mean, overall, I just think it's a wise uh, a wise loan move and I'm happy with it. And I'm basically trusting Unai, you know, uh, when it comes to these signings. Yeah. Now, um, one player who might be on his way, though, there's been a lot of links, you know, to Qatar and today Real Betis as well. Uh, Coutinho, uh, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on on him potentially leaving? I think, provided provided that there's replacements, provided that there's um, that the plan isn't just to let him leave and mm. and, and see what happens. Um, I I think it's probably. Uh, look, look, we're not getting the durability out of him. We're not getting the return on investment in him. Um, if Qatar came in, like we, okay, I'm trying to find a nice way to say we would be absolutely mad not to accept 20 million and his wages gone off our books for to sell Coutinho. We would be insane not to do it. It would be frivolous. It would be stupid. It would be backing your your horse, even though you know it isn't going to win. You got to take that deal every single day of the week and twice on Sunday, you know. Yeah. Um. But we also need bodies in the in, in the team, and I think going back to Clement Langley, a lot of people are probably wondering and are probably annoyed at the transfer because it's not a striker or it's not an attacking talent because we know we need bodies there. We don't. It's not apparent we need bodies in defence at the moment, but we're one injury away from needing it. So I can understand why this guy comes in. This is an opportunity cost signing. I think we. I might revisit that in six months' time and say, mm. well, we brought in Longley. Why didn't we bring in the striker? And I'm yeah. a Villa fan, so I'm okay. I'm allowed to be fickle, as uh, Dave O'Leary knows. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm essentially getting that here. I think we will see some movement up top as well. Um, but I don't think, I think Coutinho leaving will be the last bit of business we do, as opposed to be the catalyst for us to bring in somebody new, if that makes sense. Because I do think there's another person to come in, there's another shoot to drop in the forward area. Couldn't tell you who it is. I genuinely have no idea who that person could be. Um, now that we've got two loans on our books um, with Zaniolo and uh, and uh, Clement Langley, we won't be loaning Joe Felix. We won't be loaning any striker. Whoever we bring in will be a purchased player um, because we can only register two loan players at any given time and four over the case of 12 months. Yeah, and that was the thing I thought with Coutinho. I went to the Everton game uh, last week, um, mm-hmm. and Coutinho came on. And there were moments where he, you know, obviously showed that, you know, that really unique ability he has and the skills he has. But my God, like it was like watching a Royal Rumble with the guy. You know, every time, like he's number thirty called into the Royal Rumble and just beaten up by ten different people because mm-hmm. uh, every time he got the ball, he was just kicked, hassled, constantly fouled, and I just thought to myself, I thought, you know. Just for this, the longevity of this guy's career, would it be 
wiser to just go to a league that's less physical and he's not going to get this kind of treatment um just because you know no coincidence he got injured in the same game and just the constant injuries and as you mentioned about you know getting the return on investment now it's not it just doesn't look like it's coming does it so uh I, yeah i'm with you on that i think he's if we, if we get the offer he should probably probably head off it's, it's it's interesting though you know being a 120 million pound player um and and knowing you're 32 and knowing you're injured and and essentially he's got f- he's had five years of having a point to prove since he moved to Barcelona. It's very difficult to kind of get over that hump and say, like I suppose if you're a competitive person, you're going to go, I'm going to prove myself for a year that I can still do it in the Premier League. Because you look at the likes of Messi, you look at the likes of Ronaldo, you look at all these guys, uh, Benzema, Lewandowski, all these guys playing 35, 36, 37. And they're still doing it and they're still being counted upon. And he was bought for money in the echelons of those guys too, you know. And, and he had all the talent in the world to be as good as those guys, you know. But, you know, Father Time is undefeated and everybody's body breaks down at different at different times. So I feel for him. I, do, I, I genuinely feel for him because it was set up for him to come back to the Premier League and to play in that 10 role and have team built around him. But his body just wasn't isn't able to take it so far, and and it'll be interesting to see what happens. He could come back from this injury, stay with Aston Villa, yeah. pop in seven or eight goals this year, and and do exactly what I'm saying now. Um, but on the face of it, right now he's injured again after playing his first minutes in the league. He was out for something like twelve to fourteen weeks prior to the end of last season. You know, I think the club would be looking at, at at it and saying, right, where's the durability here, and can we count on this guy as being a real? asset within our squad at the moment or if the offer comes do we do we make the business decision yeah and i, I you know I, I nothing would make me happy than to be made to look like a complete idiot mm-hmm. probably not 100%. for the first time <laughs> and uh he comes back and uh yeah just rips it up uh, but um but for yeah as you say for now it doesn't look too possible but um you know uh, you've meant you kind of well you touched on it before but uh you know, there's only a few days left in the transfer window. Uh, is there anywhere else you'd like to see Villa strengthen before the door slams shut? Uh, striking, up in the striking department. Yeah. I, I've still, yes, uh, John Duran has, has a goal to his name. I've seen nothing that leads me to believe he can play 10 games in a row in the Premier League. This, yeah. this, and Clarification here. This isn't me saying he's a bad player. It's just, you know, we're a club that want to get into the top six. Uh, we want to move into the top four. We want to compete on all fronts. Ollie Watkins is going through a barren spell at the moment. He does that. He goes through barren spells throughout the course of the year. I'm not concerned about that. But John Duran has shown me that he has basically shown me he can run around and he's and 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 uh, he can throw his weight around. He's shown me no no I have no reason to believe that he could uh, he could last for 10, 12 games and provide the same output as Ollie Watkins. Yeah. And you need goals to win games. Um, so I think a striker. I, I've been on this boat the whole way through this transfer window of there's a 30 year old plus striker out there that none of us have thought of that none of us probably i'm not even saying that we know but none of us expected to move to aston villa that's going to come here on deadline day for a meager fee and he's going to score nine goals this season and we're (laughs) all going to be going what a brilliant bit of business here (laughs) fernando marientes type somewhere out there that's going to come in that we're all going to look at and go what the hell have Villa done here? It's just for me, it's been written in the stars, hasn't quite quite happened yet. Hmm. I hold out hope we've got two days left for, for my prediction to be right. But I do think we need some sort of striking um help because um like it just makes it beggars belief that Cameron Archer went out. If we don't have somebody coming in there, um 
So I, I'm w- eagerly watching that space eagerly watching that space yeah same i think if you're to look at villa's team and think if there's an injury where do we you know suffer the most and if watkins gets injured we just there just isn't really anything to come in of, of, of that of the required experience in that striker role to to sort of have a reasonable fill-in job i guess um and goalkeeper as well i still think emmy martinez the drop off to olsen is quite significant but so we're gonna i don't olsen. i don't think we see another goalkeeper no, no, not, no, not a hope in 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 not nah, not a week. No way. If the if the transfer window was another six weeks longer, we ain't mm. seen another goalkeeper. Yeah, completely agreed. And I think as well, you know, what, what I've also been expecting is I think you're right about that kind of like that thirty year old striker period on a deadline day. I've also been wondering will there be something like a you know will Monchi pull out a very Monchi move? Will he sign someone from like Estudiantes in Argentina, someone that we've not really been tracking? You know that it's not really on the radar, and suddenly you're just like everybody's straight to YouTube on the highlights reels, straight to all the scout. Like who who is this guy? Marcus Leonardo hasn't been signed from Bar- from Brazil. Yes, right. I always hope he's. My, he's been about a year and a half ago. I started spouting his name, and I was on the Villa View, and I started spouting. Bar- and then I forgot. Bardell goes, "Who's this guy you're talking about?" And I said, "Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, he's a young. He's a young guy from from Brazil." Um, yeah, but there's there are look that, and this is the thing. This is the thing. And, and sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a bit of a uh, a, a bit of a solo run here. But um, <clears throat> there's many different ways to skin a cat. You know, there's loads of players out there that we don't know that nobody knows about. There's loads of players out there that nobody thinks of. Um, you see, during transfer window, you see the same recycled, regurgitated names the whole time. There are retreads out there. There's a reason that some players aren't playing well, but they may have attributes that may fit in another team. And we've got a manager that's very philosophical based in his approach. Um, he, prefer to, he would prefer to have players fit into the system than to have big names in the system, if that makes sense. Now, ideally, we'd like to have both. We'd like to have big, na- big names that fit into the system because that makes life an awful lot easier. But you even look at the likes of um, looks at the likes of Alex Moreno. We didn't understand that. I, I certainly didn't understand the, the the signing last season. Fit into the system. Mm. Absolutely revolutionised how we went forward. Really improved our pace of attack last season. Um, so so for me, that's that that's the interesting piece. I have no idea who the striker is, and that's why I see it so, so exciting. And then also, I'm setting myself up to be sat here at quarter past 11 p.m. on Friday evening going, well, there was no striker. Now, now it's panic stations, you know. So yeah. it's uh, it's going to be a wild ride for the next two days because we've got Hibs in the way as well. Yeah, completely. And, uh, you know, um, you know, considering how Villa have uh, signed this this summer, I think Villa, uh, personally, we've signed pretty very well, actually. Um, but how do, how do you rate Villa's transfer window overall, you know, out of 10, I guess? Oh, I, I I think it's I think it's one of the smartest transfer windows um the that that any team has had um we're in a a position whereby we've been smart obviously we've got in somebody who's of immense value to us now obviously on a free transfer uh, Yuri Tielemans um like you put Yuri Tielemans on the market now you're getting twenty million for him like and you talk about pure profit there's pure profit you know um. Uh, the yes, obviously we've got wages and stuff like that, but I think he's a very he's an inspired signing there. That depth that he gives us is fantastic. We will see him against uh, against Tibbs. We will see him off the bench in the majority of games this season. Just a really really good um, uh, player to be able to come in, finisher to come in for t- uh, thirty minutes, and also when I go back to what I said, Duran couldn't do. 
you'd have no problem starting your Tielemans for 15 games in a season if one of our midfielders went down and he needed to be replaced. That's what squad depth is. Not people I think can do a job, people I know can do a job. Yeah. Same came in with Pau Torres. You say what you like about him not playing in the Premier League before, but you know he can do a job. And, and if, if you haven't watched the last three games he's played, yes, everyone says, oh, but he got skinned for one, one situation. Someone ran by him. It's fine. Can he do the job? Absolutely, he can. Pivotal part of our team. And, and uh, he's a different defender to Taiwan Mings. That's that's uh, th- that's essentially it. Musa Diaby speaks for himself. Like, uh, I think pound for pound so far, like, he's he's in the top five signings in the Premier League so far, you know, of, of the season. He's just been majestic. He's been brilliant. He's been outrageous, to be honest with you. Some of the, mm-hmm. some, the way he opens up passing lanes, the way he dictates uh, people following his runs, the way he... Um, just, just that, even stuff like that Cruyff turn that he made that yeah. uh, in in the game against Burnley at the weekend uh, elevates our speed of attack. Moreno did it when he came in in, in January. The Abbey's brought it to another level. I'm really looking forward to seeing Moreno come back there to speed up that attack. And then you've got Nicolas Zaniolo as well, who's come in there to offer a bigger body, somebody who has um, who is cocky. He's confident on the level of a. Uh, a Cristiano Ronaldo, a young Cristiano Ronaldo, whereby he knows he's good. Yes, he doesn't have the pace he had before because of injuries, but he can still do things with the ball. We saw he was able to shift the ball, manipulate the ball, play those little triangles, got two shots away in 20 minutes. Guy's going to be a handful for some defenders, specifically the way that we like to manipulate the ball around the box. He's going to pop up with some good goals for us. And then Clement Longley, as we said there, has come in here, I, I can't imagine that at the start of the transfer window, he was on, he was probably on a list of potentials, mm-hmm. but I don't imagine they said, we need to do everything we need, we can to get this guy. He was auxiliary plan A or, or contingency plan A. We've needed to go to it and we've got it, I would imagine. So uh, I think I think we've been very smart. We've been very astute. We brought in two loan players. I think when you look at what our outgoings are, yes, we spent 50 million and 38 million on two players. But realistically speaking, we've recouped a lot in our in our young players, and I think from a I think we've been really smart on what we've done essentially. Yeah, I think smart is the exact word, and you're right. Tielemans is just that squad depth, uh, you know, and that quality he can come in and sort of play, you know, a Kamara role if he has to, but particularly that Douglas Louise role, and, you know, give him a yeah. rest when he needs it. Um, but my God, like DRB, he just looks like a real. Uh, a a a world class player. He just has those attributes. The intelligence of the guy, the his movement, his speed of thought, his the the, the way his runs that he makes. You could really see it on show against Burnley. The ways and the way he's sort of, you know, the last two games. It's probably not coincidental that both Matty Cash and Leon Bailey have played really well in that you know progressive right position um, because they're getting to link up with Diaby, who's just making life a, a lot easier for them. I would say mm-hmm. um, he's just looked really really special and uh, I can't wait to see more from him and then Torres almost a bit like Moreno a bit of a transformational signing and you know you looked at it at the time you thought well we've got Torres and Ezri Concer and you think well, is, is that do we need that but you, you see what it is you know straight away in preseason those balls from back to front that he can do so accurately and rapidly into the you know beyond the midfield into the feet of a Diaby or a McGinn or a Watkins um it that's that's the exact thing that clearly Emery wants he wants a, you know quick you know quick build up but also mm. quick from back to front and I think Torres just offers that and it's just yeah it's I, I'm, I would say it's smart is the exact word and you know that also brings into context then our you know the sales we've made with the youth players and Cameron Archer Jaden Philogene looks like he's going off and uh, also Aaron Ramsey to Burnley uh, what do you make of uh, selling the the young kids? 
not ideal, but um, I think so. How will I put this? As a club, we have grown up as a structure and entity, as a business structure and entity. Um, on the field specifically, because I don't get drawn down the rabbit hole of uh, of off the field. I, I certainly am not qualified to talk about those. Nor am I qualified to talk about on field anyway. So I don't know what I'm on. <laughs> but um, you know what I'm saying here is that we've got a structure, we've got a hierarchy of uh, of of uh, an organisation there. Obviously, with Manchi coming in here, we've got a very um, continental field to number one our, our scouting situation. Yes, we've got Rob McKenzie in there, but Johan Lang has come in. Um, the other guy from the other Danish guy who's on the data side of things, he's in there. He, he's there too. Whose name? Leet, I think he's a he, Leaf or Leet is his surname. Um, and now we've got Manchi. And essentially, what I'm trying to get at here is that for years and years and years and years and years, the Premier League has been so far behind in how they just fire money at the problem. They have done it since they since since the early the, since they become the dominant league in Europe from a financial point of view. They've just horsed money at at issues. Um, Villa can't continue to do that at this moment in time. You can see Chelsea can. All those, well, Chelsea even had to get creative with their eight, nine-year deals. Mm-hmm. Villa are now just essentially adopting a continental model. Like, Real Madrid have done this for years, decades. Mm. Sell players with buyback clauses. Um, a lot of curmudgeonous uh, English, British, should I say, um, journalists don't like it when Aston Villa start upsetting the, the the apple cart, yet they had nothing to say about Man City doing it. Mm. You know, so from my point of view, um, and I'm going a small bit off topic, but um, it's really just the fact that, um, it's really just that we are, we're seeing the manchification of our, of our uh, I suppose, our, our, our squad building um, while having to try and keep within financial fair play. We've protected our assets. Um, if these guys start to ball out, we will buy them back. No doubt about it. But we've protected also our short-term um, cash flow and our short-term FFP stuff. We don't want to end up like a Wolves. Wolves couldn't sell somebody to save themselves, yet they were buying, they were buying. They had to sell the likes of Diego Jata and, and those guys. That's who they had to sell to get their money back. We haven't lost anyone from our first 11, yet we've got the price of Pau Torres back already this season. So... There's a smartness in that. Whether it works out, I don't know. We don't know what the buyback clauses are or anything like that. So at this, but at this moment in time, and the short-term vision of it, I think it's been smart because we've protected our our ownership of the player if they do turn out to be brilliant, and also what we've done is we paid for Pau Torres. That's mm. that that's that's kind of my 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 uh, two cents on it. So it's unconventional, but it, I think it'll it'll be shown to be the convention in time to come. Man City have been doing it and we've just really followed their followed their lead. Exactly. On the surface, it, it looks like the actions of an elite club, doesn't it? Um, you know, yeah. just how it's run backstage, but also on, on the pitch. And, um, you know, uh, looking at, you know, the youth players going, it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's, it's just what wiser, better clubs do, essentially. And you compare it to, you know, Everton and where Wolves are right now, and even Villa back in the Randy Lerner era, when we were absolutely throwing money at things, in the, you know, and uh, big wages, you know, I think I remember 50k a week for the likes of Steve Sidwell, apparently, um, you know, and then the taps got turned off because we didn't make the Champions League. Uh, and we were in, you know, long decline after that. So hopefully this is kind of future-proofing us with the way we are now and we don't end up in that sort of a Wolves scenario. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you, you, 
you know, ideally you want to see these youth players actually play for Villa, particularly, you know, from the local era, area, they've yeah. been with Villa all their lives. Oh, 100%. Um, but it's, uh, you can see the reasoning behind it as well, um, for sure. From from a, from a development, from these players' development, like, there is nothing to be gained. I, I genuinely don't believe that there was anything to be gained by Cameron Archer going another championship loan. Certainly yeah. wasn't anything to be gained from him, from us there was, but for him specifically, mm. sitting on our bench and getting 10 games, getting the equivalent of 10 games a season, sitting on our bench, we would loved it from a selfish point of view, but we've gotten 18 and a half million for him. Mm. Um, we've sold him to a Premier League team where he will get minutes and we, we control essentially his, his future for I would imagine over a two-year period, usually those these buybacks are not only over a one-year period, usually over a two-year period, and for a fixed sum, I would imagine the sum would decrease if they get relegated and all this kind of stuff. So there's going to be lots of contractual pieces that are going to be involved in this, and and I just think it allows us to look at him at that level. Now, if we were doing these buy sell sell the guys to buy them back, and they were going to like League One clubs or our Championship clubs, yeah, we'd be here spitting fire. But they're not. They're good players. They need to play at good levels. We couldn't. We can't, we we're not in a position to get them loans to 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 uh, clubs that uh, of the level we wanted to get them to. So we finagled the market and we worked it in our favor. Hmm. Completely, uh, that's the perfect way to put it. I think. And you know, so we sort of talked about what happens off the pitch. Um, but of course, on the pitch, uh, the start of the season's been. Uh, I mean, some real highlights, but one particular low light uh, to start the season. So, uh, what have you made of uh, the season so far for Villa? Um, yeah, we had that uh, crash to earth moment in the first day of the season, um, and there's no other way of saying that. Uh, I think we're taking, you know, in hindsight and taking the, I suppose, the immediacy of the of the of the bad event or the bad results, let's say, out of the equation. I think Newcastle played above their station. I think Villa played below their station on, on that day. Now, Newcastle have obviously had a rotten start to the season, you know, you have uh, with, with the start that they've had. Um, but uh, saying that, uh, Villa have worked their way back nicely. And yes, I know Everton had, had the same amount of press as, uh, as uh, you know, an old folks meeting. You know, there was no one getting anywhere near uh, any of our players against Everton. They were, they were extremely poor. Burnley weren't, and we dispatched with yeah. Burnley. You know, we we controlled the first half. Yeah, we had a dodgy ten minutes in the second half, but Burnley's press was very evident, and it, that's that's a better than average press in the Premier League. So the demons that we were told, oh, Hibs didn't press, Everton didn't press, but Burnley did, and we played past that press because Bubakar Kamara was bloody outstanding. That's why, but we played past that 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 press. And now we've got another evolution to see how 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 we're we're stepping up against Liverpool at the weekend. So now we've got an opportunity to go to Anfield. Don't forget, it was away at St James's to go to Anfield, and um, it is in Anfield, isn't it? This weekend, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's in Anfield this weekend. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, one of my mates is going to the wrong game in the wrong <laughs> venue. If that's the case, um, <laughs> but we we get to go to Anfield and we get to hopefully put up a, a, a better showing than we did in our last away game, you know, so our last away game at a top four team, uh, top, uh, traditionally top six team. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I think pleased, very pleased, not ecstatic, can see can see where we've, we've learned from what we did in day one um, and uh, looking forward and hopeful and excited to, to the Liverpool game. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh... Are there any sort of big changes you've seen on the pitch and sort of how we play in games compared to last season under Emery? 
Um, I think probably the the, the biggest change is just the cohesion. Um, weren't the co the cohesion and the trust that the players have in the system. Um. I know the games we've played, we've bossed them, and that's probably one of the biggest changes. We're comfortable being more ball dominant now. Yeah, we didn't dominate possession as, possession as in we didn't have the most possession against Burnley. But when we had possession, we looked like we knew exactly what we were doing with it, you know, which which last year under Stephen Gerrard, we didn't. And <laughs> in the initial stage, yeah. and in the initial stage of the Vunai Emery, we were doing that and having six at the back at times. Yeah. So we're not resorting to six at the back. We're com- we're a bit more confident in our structure and our setup. Our midfield, albeit it got bullied against Newcastle first day out, um, our midfield just looks really well drilled at the moment, yeah. and uh, our back four look really confident. So I think that's the biggest difference to this team uh, at the moment. Now, yes, would I like a few more goals from our striker? I would, um, uh, and I am his biggest cheerleader. Yeah. Uh, but like. I think in a way Liverpool away is is a kind of a game where Ollie Watkins pops up with two goals yeah. uh, after having a barren streak and then you're going he's back baby you know yeah. <laughs> um because he has a pretty decent record against the big teams and uh they're going to be missing Virgil van Dijk um and they're going to have probably Gomez and Kurate or Gomez and Matt Gomez and and Matt at the back to, um at the weekend and and that's going to be interesting in itself. But yeah, I think the biggest biggest areas are midfield looking solid, people knowing what they're doing, and the attacking in unison. So people people, it's the the game plan is is more comfortable. I think for the team this year, mm. we look incredibly well. I think against Burnley in particular, there were lots of moments where we looked incredibly well drilled. Um, and uh, you know Everton as well. I guess we saw that, but also Everton were absolutely terrible. I'm I'm still stunned at what I was <laughs> witnessed from them. But then again, you know Villa. If you turn up and you, the, one of the the great things about the Unai Emery era, I think, is that if you turn up and try and defend and sit, you just sit back and try and hit us with long balls. That's the type of thing that in the past Villa would have lost one nil in a game to a set piece or something. Whereas now it feels like we will rip a team apart, which is just yeah. uh, as a Villa fan to witness this uh, is. Um, bringing tears to my eyes almost. It's uh, such an unusual experience. Um, but, you know, you, you talked about the Liverpool game there. Uh, I'm quite excited about it, actually. I think, uh, of course, a very tough away day, but also one that I think is quite a, it's quite an intriguing game, I think. What are, you, what are your thoughts on it? I have no idea how this Liverpool game is going to go at the weekend. Mm. Uh, reason being is because, uh, like Liverpool, you take the first half Liverpool uh, that, that we saw at the weekend against Newcastle, and then the second half, Darwin Nunes comes on and just completely changes the game. Their attacking talent is outstanding, Unbelievable, absolutely outstanding. It? You know they've got six quality. I, I don't even know why they're playing Gakpo back in midfield like that. Probably because you know just from because he can play there, but. You know, you even take the fact that he could be played out wide or played up top as a number nine himself. The fluidity they have there is just frightening. So you always have to go play against Liverpool, um, almost understanding you're going to concede um, and then wonder how you're going to score two goals. Um, and that's the that's the beauty of it. I think we can score two goals uh, at the weekend against Liverpool because we are also attacking really well. I think that we can get behind the likes of... Uh, so I think, I think Villa have, have been known to go out and try and what I call hammer the hammer. So Trent Alexander-Arnold, obviously somebody that they like to to feed the ball at Liverpool because he's a playmaking fullback. Mm-hmm. I think we see Luca Dean getting behind him a couple of times. I think we see um, 
I think we see Diaby try and get it, try and make uh, runs across there to keep him honest. I think if Joe Gomez is playing as playing as a centre half, Joe Gomez blows hot and cold uh, an awful lot of the time last season. He was very cold. Mm. He's got all the talent in the world, but he's had a lot of injuries. Have they taken their toll on him? I think we go straight at that side of the field uh, ne- this weekend. We try and manoeuvre them around the place, get there, and if Luca Dean starts popping in crosses like he has before without Virgil van Dijk being in there, I think we could get some joy there. Albeit, midfield, I've said, have been really strong. I think their midfield is going to match up well with our midfield. I think that, I think, I don't think we're going to overrun them in midfield at all because they're going to have World Cup winning Alexis McAllister in there. Sebas in there is a really, really good player. Yeah, and then Gakpo or whoever else they're going to have inside there as well. They're going to get their fair fair share. If we can come out evens in midfield and if we can find a way to put Trent Alexander-Arnold on his heels, that's, I think, what the game plan is for Aston Villa this weekend. Yeah, I, I sort of think back to when we drew with them. Uh, we ended, you know, they're on a seven-game winning streak and we ended it at Anfield, I think it was in April. Um, and they're currently on a 14-game uh, unbeaten streak. Mm-hmm. But uh, that draw at Anfield, the 1-1, um, what I recall from that was two things in particular, was that we, the high line worked so well, um, you know, really, really well. And I do wonder how that will operate without Mings there. I think that's a, that's a bit of an unknown factor, whether, you know, the defence have the uh, communication and leadership to sort of pull it off in, into the same level that we did uh, just a couple of months ago. And what kept happening was Liverpool kept knocking the ball forward and were constantly getting caught offside or it was running yeah. through Temi Martinez. It was really well done, the high line. But, you know, hopefully we don't get a repeat of what happened at Newcastle where they just keep breaking through constantly. Um, but also... Um, what happened as well was McGinn, I remember, was the second striker and kept, you know, every time Trent yes. tried to come inside, he'd jet, jump on him and stop him playing. And that dis- that first half in particular, they were so disrupted. I do wonder, I assume that we'll see a similar thing again with McGinn on uh, Trent, if that's how Liverpool approach it. Um, but I do wonder how, like, Diaby fits in there, actually, and where he might... I, I I don't think it would be McGinn that picks him up. I think it'll be Diaby that puts pressure on him. Um right. Just because I felt that that McGinn would play like for me, McGinn hasn't played in that behind the striker role uh, since the Abbey's come in. I'm not saying that I would rule it out. Like McGinn has been off the left quite a lot, so he's probably going to be, he's probably going to be faced up with him anyway, uh, yeah. Trent Alexander. So I don't think he's going to be that roving player that when he when if Trent comes inside to be that John Stones esque player that comes in and is that inverted fullback. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think the Abbey would be the man to pick him up there, but you can be sure McGinn will go at him in a more linear fashion if he is playing that left hand side uh, as well. But you make a good point to regards to I think that in a way we're probably a bit more a bit better set up because if um, if uh, if what you call him if if, if Buendia was there you've got it gets lots of endeavour out of Buendia. But with Diaby, I think people will swarm around an awful lot more. But yeah, Diaby would be involved there. If the ball breaks to him, like he's going to have a snapshot from anywhere. We've seen him. He's got a great great ability to take a shot from outside the box, from inside the box to get on the end of something. Or I could see Diaby, us having a turnover, maybe about midway in their half, breaking and Diaby getting taken down for a penalty. That's going to be my call for the game at the, week and, uh, at the weekend. And, and I think that it's, it's plausible because I think we will be all over our fullbacks as best we can. And that's going to be a big area that if we can win that battle, we have the ability to break forward. We have the ability to break mm-hmm. forward. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I'd be interested to see, you know, Leon Bailey struggled at Anfield in April and he was taken off after, I think, about 50 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be interesting if Matty Cash plays that um, progressive role again. Um, but yeah. God, it's just just exciting. I'm quite excited. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I'm always apprehensive about going to Anfield, but also, you know, who knows? I, th- I think I think you're right. I think we do have goals in us against them, uh, particularly with Van Dyke being out. Um, you know, uh, sort of last question, I guess, really, is, you know, We've talked about how the transfer window has gone still obviously a couple of days to go, so who knows what might happen. Um, we've had, obviously had the start to the season, the Newcastle game, but then, you know, wins against Hibs, Everton and Burnley. How do you feel about Villa this season? How how are you feeling about what we could do uh, this season? I don't think anything has changed really with regards to where we should be looking at. Uh, it should be top six finish, progress well within. Like, I... I I don't think uh, I think we will favor the league over over some of the the domestic cups, mm-hmm. but I think why not go for the Europa Conference League? Like there's going to be some games in that you would hope we go out, we win the first two or three games in the group, we can do whatever we want in the second two or three games. You know, take the pressure off from that point of view. Really, then hone in the, on the on the league. Um, you know, so there are ways to fight both battles there. Um. Per, Personally, I would love us to win the FA Cup, but I just, yeah. you know, you've got to be a realist on it here with regards to this year. Unless we see five people come in the door between now and, and, and Friday, our squad is going to be tested, and most squads are tested uh, when they're, unless you're a Man City, a, a Chelsea, Liverpool, or whatever, that have, have had six plus years of squad building at that level of playing Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, or whatever the case may be. Um, so I think we're, I, I think we're well set up. I think we can. Like because we've got a footballing philosophy within the club, and we're not we're not hoping on individual pieces of brilliance. That's transferable from uh, cup to league, from league to um, European competition, and 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 also it's uh, the the game against Hibs. I think is going to be a big precursor because I expect us to um, to rotate an awful lot for that. And if we can see the same patterns of attack there, then we know that the ideology or the philosophy is being implemented. So for me, get back in my long-winded answer, I still think Villa should be pushing to finish no lower than they did last season at seventh and also have a good, good run in this European competition because it means a lot from a um, uh, essentially a PR point of view and a, and a club stature building point of view. It's really put Roma back on the map again yeah. as a club. Uh, West Ham have signed some good players this season and you know, let's get Aston Villa at that table as well. And silverware is is worth its weight in. I was going to say silverware was worth its weight in gold. Yeah, I'm going to keep it at that. Silverware <laughs> yeah. is worth its weight in gold. Yeah, yeah, you all know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, um, uh, it's a good question actually. Would you rather win the Conference League or the the FA Cup? And uh, that's not an answer I'm sure I, I know actually. Thinking about it, but uh, God, I'll, I'll take both. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, so Neil. Um, you know, it's always brilliant to chat to you, and I'm sure almost most people watching this will, of course, uh, know of your podcast. But for those who maybe don't, uh, where can they find you and your work uh, online? Yeah, you can find me at, at Love McGrath Pod on Twitter. That's usually where I hang out. Uh, we're the only podcast called for the love of Paul McGrath. So if you po- type it into YouTube, we're the first one that comes up. Um, and yeah, usually that's where you're going to find us all, on all audio podcast platforms as well. We hang out there too. So um, yeah, we'd love to have you on board. And and uh, if you like what you, what you hear, um, consider stopping by. That was the Midweek Social on All Villa No Filler with our guest this week, Neil Dunworth from the For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. <laughs>